0: opportunity, and we want to help our students uh, with the cost of that, and so there's going to be a lunch on the go fundraiser for that, I encourage you to sign up for your lunch on the clipboard, and you know what, if you say, you know what, I don't um, I don't necessarily need to have the lunch, there will be a, a basket for donations, both for people who get the lunch, and if you want, just give a donation instead uh, for the youth, that would be great uh, on the upcoming June the 9th. Now, I'd like to uh, mention that there are several serving opportunities coming up. First of all, we are beginning a ministry of taking a service of communion to Bethany Place. Frank Vivier is heading that up, and he would love to have people who would help him. It's once a month on the third Sunday of each month. So if you'd see Frank uh, just to come along to sing with the group or even give a devotional, that would be awesome, so keep him in prayer. And then upcoming as well is our... Outreach to Poets Village and also our VBS. So please take notice in your bulletin about the, the, ministry, the ministry to Poets Village and ask the Lord how you can help in that. But uh, when it comes to VBS, it is getting closer and closer. We're very excited. Uh, Kelly is so thankful for people who have stepped up and said, Hey, I'm happy to serve. I want to help out. And uh, she could still use a couple more. And so if you have the availability even just to be a helper to go along with a group of kids, uh, please let her know and she has a great place that you can serve the Lord in VBS. Now in your bulletin, there's a little list of items that we'd like to borrow and then items that we need to use for crafts. And so take a note uh, in your bulletin of the items to borrow. And then also the little handout. These are things that we'll be using for and activities and uh, please uh, bring those there'll be a a, a collection box a drop-off box in the children's uh, wing foyer so I want to encourage you to help out on that well as you are aware today is uh, the day of a memorial weekend and we want to give thanks to the Lord uh, for that you see memorial day is more than just a day for a picnic and a barbecue it's a time for us to give thanks as we remember as we think about those who've given their lives through the years for our freedom. And we'd like to give uh, recognition today. In a moment, all of us will stand. But to begin with, if uh, I'd like to have those of you who are here to stand if you are in the military or were a serving in the military. So veterans and active service, would you please stand? We want to give thanks for you, veterans and active service. And stay standing, if you would. Now, as they're standing, I'd like to invite those of you who have a family member uh, who has been a veteran or is in active service. If you would stand with these uh, veterans, would you stand if you have a family member who has been in the military or is? Well, we want to thank you for your sacrifice and for their service. And now, together, would all of you stand uh, as we show our support Uh, to these families, and let's uh, remain standing for a prayer and then stay standing as we begin singing together. Father in heaven, you've said that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I thank you that we live in the country in which we live, and it is far from perfect, and we've moved away from our moral compass, and so I pray that you'll bless us as we try to uh, reach out to lost people and bring this country back in line with your will and your word. Lord, I thank you for the sacrifice of those who have given their lives. They've died for freedom. We appreciate that. And we thank you too, Lord, for those families who have loved ones who have been in the military and for their sacrifice as they uh, give of their loved ones in serving you. But most of all, Jesus, Help us never forget. Help us always remember your sacrifice, that you died on the cross, that you gave up everything so that you could win for us eternal life and freedom. And help us, Lord, to rejoice in your victory as you rose from the grave, because you live so we too shall live. And so we want to worship you today. and We pledge our lives to follow you until you call us home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
1: Thank you, Stan. The psalmist says it like this, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. Let's rejoice in the Lord this morning.
2: shall bow before your throne. Time and space on bended knees will fall. Though kingdoms pass away, your majesty remains. How great you are, how great must be your song. and omega without end the everlasting makes this wretch his friend the angels stand on this beggar heart responds how great you are how great must be your song? you're the hymn of the ages the hope of all choir in my lungs to sing your praises with a thousand tongues the purpose in my days is ever to proclaim how great you are how great must be your song you're the hero the hope All creation is a song Waiting to be sung All of nature like a prayer Waiting for a tongue and Who will give it voice Or make its anthem ring Or rise to lead a choir Of all created things Lord, hear your people sing blessing for the one, the maker of all things, the majesty above, who brought us back from death with such a costly love.
1: as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul.
2: Christ the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm. When the winds of doubt blow through me, when my sails have all been torn, In the suffering, in the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor, it shall never be. the shore and steady anchor, while the tempest rages on, when temptation claims the battle, and it seems the night has won, deeper still. a shore and steady anchor through the floods of unbelief hopeless somehow oh my soul now lift your eyes to calvary this my vow Christ the shore of oh, our salvation, ever faithful, ever true, I will hold fast to the anchor which shall never be removed. amen.
0: Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are our anchor, our rock, our salvation. Lord, there are some here today who are going through storms. Uncertainty about the future. I pray that, Jesus, they'll hear you speak to them. Peace be still. And Lord, there are people in our lives going through storms as well and I pray that you would help us to come alongside of them, to give them help and to give them strength to bring our faith alongside of them as well. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would draw close to those in our Congregation, who need your healing touch. Thank you for Robert and bless him. Thank you for Lorraine and and for D and strengthen them. I pray, Lord, for each one of us that we would rely on you. Every gift we receive, every blessing we have, even life itself, is from you. And so we thank you that you give us the privilege to give back to you, so that we can worship you, so that we can support your work here and our community, and around the world. So I pray, Lord, that you would bless the gifts. Bless the giver and even those unable to give. We thank you for your greatest gift of all. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our scripture this morning... Comes from Psalm one nineteen. It's been kind of a theme for us as we uh, have gone through the last several weeks. And we've been working through this song, a song in the Old Testament, almost in the middle of it. And today we come to one of the highlight verses that you've learned ever since you were a little child in Bible school. And so it starts off by telling us about the Word of God, how it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I invite you to uh, to read with me the word of God, as we thank God for his revelation to us. So would you read with me, please? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules.
1: Okay, let's stand and sing again. Uh, His mercy is more. It says in Ephesians, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. What a thought that is. Sing this with me.
2: What love could remember no wrongs we have done Omniscient, all-knowing, He counts not their son. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. sins there many, His mercy is born. What patience would wait as we constantly roam. What father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the violent, i uh-huh. His blood was the payment, His life was the cost. We stood beneath the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are vain. Praise the Lord, His mercy is born.
3: Well, good morning. Glad to see everybody here today and kind of upset that nobody wanted to take the front rows. I really don't spit that much when I talk. If you would take a moment with me and we'll go to the Lord in prayer before we start today's message from God. Dear gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for the beautiful sun, Lord. We thank you for the breath that you've given us again to breathe, Lord. We thank you for all of the wonderful things that you have given us spiritually, Lord. Father God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit comes and fills this sanctuary today, Lord. May your Holy Spirit fill me, Lord, and may it be your words that I speak and not my words. In gracious name we pray, amen. So I'm going to pick back up and we're going to finish up the um, end of John chapter 6 today, Um, picking up where... Marvin left off last week, but I want to start off with a a little bit of a story about some um, times in my life and about my career. I'm going to go a little bit of a backstory about my career. So when I went to college, um, working in the summer, I was a carpenter, and I was a carpenter for about nine years. And during that time, um, I worked in the summer, and then as I graduated college, I was actually able to jump full-time into carpentry and construction. And if anybody's ever done carpentry or construction, it's a very labor-intensive, very hard job at sometimes. Um, but it was something I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the fact that I could have a blueprint, or I could have a layout, and I could work through that plan. And at the end of the day, end of the week, end of a six-month period, I could see a house that was nothing when I started there. It was a plan that I could see to the end. And I really enjoyed that. Well, once I moved into my new career, where I'm at now, I was able to take the skills that God had given me, and I could still do construction work on the weekends to bring in some extra funds if needed, um, or just help people out. And my particular area of interest is roofing. Now, if anybody's ever done roofing, you're probably thinking, the man's crazy. Um, Roofing is really, really tough. You have, you're on a roof, you're sometimes two or three stories off the ground. Um, You're not standing on anything that's flat, which is kind of odd. It's just very difficult to do, but I like roofing. I like the fact that it's very fast-paced, and I could take a roof, and I could fit it within my weekend work schedule or my weekend break schedule and complete a roof, and I could go back to my normal job on Monday. Well, most recently, about two months ago, I was doing a roof with my brother, and he had called, and he said, hey, Doug, I got this roof that needs done. Now, this is a roof that I agreed to do blindly, meaning that For once, I didn't go and do all the back work on this roof. I didn't go and measure it. I didn't even look at the roof. I had no idea what this roof entailed. My brother was called by a lady and said, hey, I heard that uh, you and your brother kind of do construction on the side, and I'd like to do a roof for me. So I said to my brother, hey, by all means, if you can do that, go do it, because it takes a little bit off my plate. So I got a call and said, hey, Doug, this is a really easy roof. It's a four-pitch, 13-square roof. Now, I just threw a couple of different terminologies at you there. So I'll go back, and I'll tell you uh, a pitch is the angle of your roof. So everybody's roof is usually has an angle because water runs off of that. Um, So a four pitch is about 18 and a half degrees of angle. And then a square is simply area. So it's a hundred square feet or a 10 by 10 area. So when he said this to me in my mind, I knew, okay, I have a roof that I can walk. We can easily maneuver and walk on. And it was about 1300 square feet. And he said, Doug, we should be able to get this done within a day. 10 hour period. We get this thing done. We rip off we put new underlayment, we button it up, and we are gone within a day. So it's pretty good money to be able to bring in, work your buns off, so to speak, but you get it done. So the morning that we scheduled to do the roof came, got up early, I loaded my Jeep with all of uh, my compressors, my air hoses, my nail guns. Yes, I use pneumatic tools. I am not going to go back and drive nails with a hammer. (laughs) Why not? Why do that? But anyway, so... We went, and I go down, to the uh, driving to the job, I pull down the street, and I see my brother's truck already there, and I'm looking, and I see the house, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, Lord, please don't let that be the house that we're, we're going to shingle, and so I pull in, and I look at it, and I said to my brother, I said, you said this was a four pitch, and he's like, well, yeah, it is, I'm like, the back might be, but that front is a six, So a six-pitch is about 27 degrees of angle. It's less than 10 degrees different, but take into consideration when you start ripping off your old shingles, all those little pretty granules that make your roof look nice and sparkly with different colors, they start to fall off. And then you're trying to stand on 27-degree angle with a bunch of little marbles underneath your feet. It becomes very difficult. In essence, it would be like ripping a roof off on an ice skating rink on a 50% grade. And we didn't have any of the equipment... To do that that day, because usually you have roof jacks and stuff where you can set up, it kind of levels you on that roof with two by fours or two by sixes, so we didn't have anything to do to do that, so we're like, okay, we can still get this done, we still have this plan, 10 hours was giving us a little bit of leeway, we're just going to have to work harder to get this roof done, but we can still do it within 10 hours, we'll be out of here by the end of the day, and, and that'll be it, we'll let this, let this house go, so we started working, we started tearing everything off, got the back part off, because if anything says you always do the easiest part first and then move to the hard. No, you should always just conquer that hard part first and then coast the rest of the day. We did a little bit backwards, so we ripped the back side of the roof that was the easier, shallower slope, got it covered. We looked at our watches, two and a half hours. Boom, we're golden. We got this thing done, so we moved to the front part. We're ripping off very, very gingerly because you had to work down, and you're looking down a very steep roof, and there's nothing down there but ground, so you come off there, it's gonna hurt. Start ripping off, get everything done, get the roof ripped off, start running into some problems. We ran into a little bit of wood rot. The lady had a leak in her roof and didn't realize it, so we had to take two hours of our 10-hour schedule to rip off wood and replace the wood because you just can't cover up something that's bad. You have to completely replace it. So now our time frame was out to about 12 hours, it's going to be a long day, but 12 hours in one day is still a good day's work, and we could definitely get that done within 12 hours. So we get everything replaced. We're putting the felt underlayment down, and it comes in a three-foot roll, and it's really heavy. So my brother is rolling it out, and I'm coming behind him with a roof stapler, a hammer tack, or whatever you want to call it. But to describe this, if you take your stapler at your desk and you open that up, and you know how you can take and just hit the staples down. I don't know if any of you ever done it. looking at the faces. No, nobody's ever done that. Must just be me. Okay, I'm the odd one. So this is what it does. (laughs) Phil's shaking his head yes. (laughs) So this is what it does, but it's a hammer tacker because the front end's weighted, and instead of those little staples that pierce through the paper, these are half inch or three quarter inch industrial size staples. So they hold that felt paper down. So you load it back. My brother would come in, he would roll that felt paper out. We'd get it nice and tight, and I would come in here whack, whack, whack as quick as you can because you want to get this felt paper held so the wind doesn't blow it off so we're moving and we're moving quick now after about five hours we had started to do this while our bodies were starting to get worn we were tired that five hours ripping that roof off was really taking its toll on us so i'm coming behind him very quickly pushing myself a little harder than what i probably should and as I'm, i'm smoothing out the wrinkles i'm hitting and one fell swing i hit my caught my finger with that hammer tacker and I immediately, if anybody's ever hit their hand with something, the, what's the first thing you do is you do one of these things. Well, I grimaced, dropped the hammer tacker, and squeezed my finger, and I realized, oh, there's a staple in my finger. So that half-inch staple had pierced down through my fingernail, and had come out the bottom of my finger. As my daughter would say, i pain, not a good feeling. That pain was shooting up my arm, so I slid down as quick as I could, went down to the Poor truth! I'm yelling for a pair of pliers because I can't obviously work with a staple in my finger. So I get a pair of needle nose pliers and I pop that staple out. Thank the Lord it didn't hit the bone and that was about it. But the blood came. We figured this is a good time. We need to break for lunch. We need to just take a little bit of time and recuperate and look at what we needed to do. So we got everything done, got everything cleaned up um, with my finger and uh, took our lunch break. But That roof that we had done that day, that was taking some very hard, it was taking a very hard toll on our bodies. My body was battered, obviously. We were all weakened because if anybody knows anything, when you start vigorous labor, you don't ever increase in your productivity. You immediately start to decrease in productivity because your body gets worn, your body gets tired. You can never keep up the same pace that you had at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day. We were starting to wear down. So a simple roof that we were figuring was going to take us 10 hours took us 16 hours over 2 days our our plans were completely derailed we had completely had to re look at everything we were done we were doing excuse me see a roof that appeared to be a simple task found us learning some very hard lessons that day the biggest lesson i learned is always keep focused on where you're swinging your hammer tacker and then i'm definitely not as young and agile as i used to be when i was 25 or 30 so but our faith is much like that our faith is much like that see christ has very hard lessons that he wants us to learn. And these are lessons that we're not always willing to accept. But the fact is, is that when we don't accept these lessons, we are um, we're, we're borderlining have a catastrophic incident with our spiritual faith, our spiritual foundation. When we don't accept that, it can be ca- catastrophic to our spiritual foundation and our spiritual walk. We need to learn these hard lessons. Lessons that um, we learn about our faith. I'm sorry, and, and as we... Let me start over again. As we read through our scripture reading today, um, from John chapter 6, 60 to 71, we're going to learn and unlock the questions, or the answers to the question, what are some hard lessons in our faith? So I'm going to jump up to John 60, or John 6, 60 to 71. Man, my mouth is all tied up today, so you can laugh at me for that one. So starting with verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you, Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus then replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. So this passage picks up after Jesus' teaching, his hard teachings, in the synagogue at Capernaum. And many of his disciples were very shaken by what they had heard and what we had learned about last week. And this is kind of some of the hard lessons that they were learning and the things that they needed to accept. And they were shaken to the point where they were ready to walk away from Jesus. They were calling it quits. They were saying, this man is out of his gourd. We're gone. We're moving on. They could not believe what Jesus was saying. They couldn't believe what he was saying. They couldn't accept that what he had to say was something... Or something What he was saying was something they were just not willing to do. What he was telling them to do, they weren't willing to do that. Let's understand that in this context, when I say disciples, I'm not talking of just the core 12. Now, the core 12, and when we hear disciples, that's usually what we think of. We think of the core 12 or the apostles. But in this, in this context, disciples was anybody who was following Jesus. It was the massive amount of people that were following Jesus. It didn't necessarily mean that they were believers of Jesus. They were following their ideas and what their plans were for Jesus. And how often do we only follow Jesus when it's convenient for us or we have a plan? We follow Jesus when we want something. Being a true believer will mean following him loyally when his truth is hard to understand And even harder to apply. The disciples who found the words of Christ a hard teaching were those who were not willing to follow him loyally. They were not his true believers. Many of them still had the belief that Jesus had come to this world as a political messiah. They thought that he was going to deliver them from the clutches of the Roman Empire. Plain and simple. That's why they wanted to force him to do that. They didn't see the point that he was actually here for a heavenly messiah he was here as a spiritual deliverer they weren't willing to accept that what they wanted wasn't going to be true they viewed him as that political messiah see their plans were completely derailed much like that day on the roof when my plans were completely derailed their plans were derailed which brings me to our first lesson that god does not have the same plans that we have <clears throat> how often do we have plans for our faith that we do not consult jesus with jesus about You see, we then become offended or we become hurt because, well, why wasn't I taken into consideration with this, Jesus? Why didn't you talk to me about what you should be doing with my life? We think that our plans are more important than his plans. We think that our goals are more important than his goals. In many ways, we are like those wavering disciples. When we don't get what we want... We kind of want to throw that temper tantrum like a toddler or a little kid does. And we just want to walk away like I quit. This isn't something that I want to believe in now because it's not something that is good for me. Instead, we should be falling to our knees like those disciples should have done so long ago. We should fall to our knees. We should call upon the Holy Spirit to give us the wisdom, to give us the guidance needed to understand the plans of our Creator. If we flash back to Jacob, now we're Talking several thousand years prior, but if we flash back to Jason, Jacob, Jacob was going to Egypt. God was sending, had an overall plan to send Jacob to Egypt. He was sent him to Egypt to be reunited with his son, and he was sent him there to be fed through this famine. That was the initial plan why God was sending Jacob there. It was a plan that Jacob didn't see the end of. He had no idea what the end game was, he had no idea what was going on. It was a plan that he could not stop because once God's plan was going, God's plan goes. We don't need to think anything different. God has everything figured out with his plans. He doesn't need us to figure out his plans for him. God has so much more intelligence than we do. We need to understand this, that the intelligence of God is far superior to our own. We know a fraction of what God, do, of what God does, and we know a fraction of the plan that God has for our lives. it Reminds me of the saying, you just can't get out of your own way. And how many people have ever heard that saying before? You just can't get out of your own way. We've all heard that at some point. So what does it mean? See, if if you're in your own way, you have become the road. The road is your life, it's your habits, it's your behaviors, your feelings, your personal problems. It becomes all about us. It becomes all about us. It becomes about what we want, about what we need, and about what we think we know. Not what we know, what we think we know, because we think we know a lot more than what we actually do. See, there was a time in my life when I separated myself from God, and I decided that God's plans just weren't what I wanted for my life, that I knew better and that I was smarter than God, and that I was going to do what I wanted because God had no idea what I needed for my life, and my plans were so much more important, and my goals were so much more important, and so much better for my life. See, I got in my own way. It became what I wanted, what I thought I needed. It was all about my life. It was me, 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 I, I, I. God only needs us to do one thing, though, God only needs us to surrender to him and accept that what he is doing is perfect for our lives. And these disciples were not willing to understand that. They weren't really to, willing to accept that. They weren't willing to say in those verses that, God, what you're, Jesus, what you're doing is right. I just need to surrender. I need to accept that. And when Jesus said to them, you know, when he says in verse 61, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? So he was like questioning them. Would it be better if you saw me ascend? Would you understand and believe then? The answer is probably not. They had made up in their mind, and they knew what they were doing. See, when we see God only needs us to surrender, and this, is, you know, this surrendering, it, it comes as a very hard task for us. Because you, you look at the world that we live in now, and the world that our younger kids and the younger generation is growing up in? What does it tell us about us? We need to be in control of everything. We need to understand that we, we, we control everything, and the more we control, the more power that we have, and the more power that we have, the better off we'll be. You know, I, j- I just got a couple months ago, and I know that I'm one of those guys that kind of rebukes technology. I'd like to be off the grid as much as possible but kind of technology saying you have to catch up with me or you're going to be left in the dust. So recently we just got one of those Kindle Fire TV stick things. You plug in the back of the TV and this little cool remote that I can tell Alexa anything and I can control what happens with that television. I can tell Alexa that I want to watch this movie. Boom, that movie comes on. I can tell Alexa to tell me the weather for tomorrow and she'll tell me what the weather is for McIntyre, Pennsylvania for that next day. Or I can annoy Kelly with it, and I can say, Alexa, fast forward 20 seconds, Alexa, fast forward 10 seconds, just to make Kelly's nerves go a little uneasy when I do that. But we have control of everything. This world has told us that we need to be in control of everything, and that the more control, the better that we will be, the more we have possession of, and the more we control physically, the better we'll be. But it comes with our second hard lesson that God is not concerned with the material realm. He's only concerned with the spiritual realm. Some of the disciples, they turned from Jesus because they were more concerned of what they could have on this earth rather than what they could have in eternity. Those disciples wanted Jesus as their Messiah politically on this earth. They had lost the fact that he was telling them I'm giving you something far greater. I'm giving you eternity. And you're going to walk away from that. Sure, it's nice to have all those material things. And don't get me wrong. I love the fact that I can um, own different firearms and different guns. If anybody knows anything about me, I'm a big hunter. I like to be outside as much as possible. And if there's a new pair of snake boots that come out that is more comfortable and I can hike a lot better than you're darn right, I want to take and look at those and see if I can buy them. Because it's nice to have those things that make our life convenient. It's nice to have those possessions. But the thing is, is what we physically possess, God is not impressed with. He's only impressed with our spiritual walk with him. That's all that concerns him, is our spiritual walk with him. See, when our final day arrives and we stand in front of the the creator and we have to do our judgment, I'm not going to be able to stand there and say, God, I may have not have done everything that you asked me to do but hold on a second, God. Let me pull out this list of things that I was able to buy. God, I was able to get a really nice house. I was able to get a bunch of new cars. I was able to keep really nice designer clothes on my family. Please, God, don't just, don't pay attention to the fact that I didn't do what you wanted me to do, but I got all these things because I worked hard for it. God's just going to look at us and snicker. He's going to laugh and say, how dare you? This isn't about you. This isn't about what you physically possess it's about the spiritual realm and what you're going to have in eternity you see in verse 63 when jesus was saying to his disciples the spirit gives life the flesh counts for nothing he wasn't just saying this to those disciples he was reprimanding them because they were walking away and he knew that they were on the brink of leaving and he was saying how dare you how dare you think that it's something that you own it gives you power my father gives you life my father gives you life the um, my father gives you real life and the material things they're though they are nice they count for nothing they absolutely count for nothing see often we are so enveloped with the materialism of this world that we lose sight of who is important that's Jesus See, do we place more concern on the material realm than we do on the spiritual realm? I know that I'm guilty of this. Absolutely, I know I am. It's a very hard fact to accept and understand and try to push past. At times, I'm more concerned with having nice things to show off rather than to show God how much I love him and how much my time should just be about him and what he wants. Are you concerned with what the world says we need rather than what God is giving us? Because God's given us a pretty great opportunity and an awesome gift. Another very hard lesson that we need to learn is that Jesus doesn't need us. We need Him. Now I'm going to reference verse 44 from last week as well as 65 from this week. So I'll read 44 again for you. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up at the last day. See, when Jesus takes time to reiterate this again in verse 65 when he says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled. him." he was making this very clear. We need him. We need him. So many times I think that Jesus needs me and that he cannot continue with the plans for me on this earth that wasn't for me. That little old Doug McCulley has more power than Jesus Christ. That what I'm doing is more important than him. And that I cannot, that he cannot even function without me. How dare me? How dare us when we think like that? How dare us? Or have we ever thought that our salvation comes from something that we have done? Comes from something that we have done? It was clear from this verse that the disciples thought this. They thought that they were more powerful and better than Jesus. And they thought that he needed them, that they did not need him. And I'm betting at one point in your life that you probably thought the same thing. I know I have. See, the truth is that salvation does not come from man, it comes from Christ. And I know Marvin had touched on that last week, but you know what? This is too good of a point to let it go for another week. Something that definitely needs reiterated. See, we, when we choose to believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we do so in response to the urging of God's Holy Spirit. See, it's not us. God does the urging. God does the calling. Jesus does the saving. We need Christ. Christ doesn't need us. When we let the enemy fill us with the pride and we let our bloated ego think, this. We're losing out. We're losing the very firm footing of our spiritual foundation that we need and we must have to grow a strong spiritual relationship with God. We need to practice a little humility, a lot of humility. I know that I do a lot of times. I don't know if any of you ever heard of Louis Giglio. Go home, look up on YouTube, type in Louis Giglio and just watch some of his sermons. Listen to how he makes, how he Makes the stars or lets the stars sing because he doesn't make the stars sing. God does makes the stars sing. But Louis Giglio put it best when he said that humility is not a character trait to develop; it's the natural byproduct of being with Jesus. Placing our lives, our daily lives, in the care of Jesus Christ, and reading and practicing the living Word of God will give us that humility, and we need that humility. We need to constantly be reminded that Jesus doesn't need us. We need him. However, this last lesson is is sometimes the hardest lesson to learn. Is that we are nothing without Christ. In verse 67, Jesus asked a very loaded question to his disciples. When he said to the twelve, you do not want to leave too, do you? See, the faith of the twelve during this time had been weakened because they had this huge group following. It's a lot easier to follow something or follow someone when you have everybody back and you're saying, yes, this is awesome, we're doing this. But all of a sudden, this mass mass exodus had occurred. Everybody was running. They were taking off, and Jesus had asked the 12, you're not going to leave too. Do you want to leave too? You see, when he asked these questions, he wanted to refine and strengthen their faith. He wanted to do that. And when Jesus asked the question, he was showing that they had two choices just like us. That they had two choices and they had two answers. You either accept him or you reject him. See, Peter replied in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that, you, that there is no other way. I'm sorry. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. See, Peter's answer was very straightforward. It was very straightforward. When he said this, he answered for all that there is no other way. There is no other way. Without Jesus, we are nothing but lost sinners. We're walking around in the darkness, bumping into things. We're confused. We need the light. We need to accept that we are nothing without Christ. And when Jesus was telling these hard teachings to these disciples, he wasn't doing so to try to repel them. Because if any of you know Jesus Christ the way I know Jesus Christ, he loves us. He wants us. He calls to us. He wasn't trying to repel them. He was only speaking the truth. And sometimes the truth is very hard to digest and bite on. Very hard. Sometimes the truth knocks you down. As I like to say, it's like a slap in the face sometimes. Because that truth hurts. But that's all Jesus was telling them. It was the truth. He was telling them the truth, and the truth is that we are nothing without him. When God sent his son to pay for our sins, he was showing that with him and only with him do we have worth. Rob Reimer, in his book on soul care, he put it very elegantly when he said, the issue of our value was settled at the cross. The issue of our value was settled at the cross. And if that doesn't choke you up, if you don't feel that worth, the Holy Spirit's saying to you that you are worth something because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. You see, it's our choice to believe it or not. There's no middle ground here. There's no lukewarm water. Let that be known. Let that be known. There's no lukewarm, there's no lukewarm zone. You either believe Christ, You believe in Christ. Or you reject Christ. You believe that when he died on that cross and he said that your sins are forgiven, that you were given worth and that you are worth something. I honestly know that it took me a long time to realize that. A long time to realize that my worth was only given on that cross and that I am worth something because of what he did. You see many people in the world today are like the many disciples who chose to walk away from Christ that day. Other people pretend to follow Jesus Christ. They want to stay in that lukewarm zone where, yes, this is good. I'm doing this. I feel good. I feel comfortable. But please, God, don't ask me to do anything outside of my comfort zone because the moment you do, I'm backing out. I'm bolting. I'm running. I can't deal with this. They're trying to possibly gain earthly approval for some, from somebody. And that's how they're doing it. Or there's even the judases in the world what was judas's reasoning for following christ it was purely selfish he was following christ because he was gaining something on this earth he was gaining a bag of coins It's the only reason why judas was following him he was gaining that bag of coins as i just said we have two choices we either accept christ or we reject christ everything can change for us and it will change. Not just can, it will change when we accept and we realize that God's plan and that God's gift of salvation is all that matters. We can grow on a very firm foundation. A very firm foundation when we understand that it only matters what we have spiritually. That those material things really don't matter. Our firm foundation will grow and will be strengthened. When we understand or a flourish when we realize that Christ is all we need and we are nothing without Him. I'm going to leave you with this. One last thing, and this is one hard phrase. Stop rebuking Christ. Stop rebuking what He's teaching us. Because those hard lessons, though they're hard lessons, that's exactly it, they're just hard lessons. You grow, you gain you know, you understand more from something that you learn very hard and truthful about. We need to embrace the fact that God knows what is best for us. He's in control. We just need to surrender. We just need to surrender. We need to never stop believing that. And we need to always believe and understand, And don't let anybody tell you differently, that your value is settled at that cross and you are a valuable child of God. Pray with me. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you again so much. I thank you for the words that you've given me to speak. And I thank you for your living word that we can learn so much through. I thank you for all the lessons that you give us, Lord, and the the firm foundation that you can help us build with your living word. I thank you for this time that we get together as a family, Lord. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that was upon us today, Lord. And I ask that as the the, um, worship team comes, Lord, that... That you will continue to just work in our hearts, work in our minds, and work in our spirit, Lord. In your gracious and heavenly name we pray. Amen. You stand with me. And
1: Wanda, will you uh... You put up the fourth verse of Christ the Shore instead of Anchor? This song has especially been uh, real to me uh, over the last few months. And I'm always trying to find a song that. It's what we're going through. And as I missed that last fourth verse, it's that fourth verse that speaks to me with what we're going through. There's folks who have lost, and we lost Larry not long ago, who is someone that was very special to me and, and our church family. And I know Brian and Angie are in Washington right now. Um, Angie's father is suffering. And I know just this past week, um, on the prayer chain i know that many of us are suffering but when i sing this song this song just um, says it all to me and at the risk of doing something a little awkward we're going to jump in at the fourth verse and wonder we'll just go right into the the closing song because i really want us to sing this together
2: christ the shore and steady anchor as we face the wave of death when these trials give way to glory as we draw our final breath we will cross the great Shore of our salvation, ever faithful, ever true. We will hold fast to the anchor, it shall never be removed.
1: That verse just speaks to me so much. I wanted us to sing it. Now, let's sing about this great, great principle God is for us, who can be against us.
2: We won't fear the battle, we won't fear the night. We will walk the valley with you by our side. You will go before us, you will lead the way. We have found a refuge, only you can say. Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Praise our God is for us even when I stumble even when I fall even when I turn back still your love is sure you will not abandon you will not forsake you will cheer me on with never ending grace sing with joy Neither height nor depth can separate us. Hell and death will not defeat us. He who gave His Son to free us holds me in His love. Neither height. Is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Pray, Lord.
3: Hands out and receive the benediction. I never really had thought of the benediction like this until Marvin came. That this is a gift. This is God's parting wisdom on us. And the thing that kept resonating in my mind is was surrendering. Because we try to control everything. May God give you the wisdom this week to just surrender to Him. To know that His teachings are here, not to chase us away, but to hold us closer. Have a wonderful week, and God bless every one of you.